Hi, this is Natasha, and you're listening to Massacast. This podcast is for adults only, and it fucking rules. Hi, and thanks for downloading another episode. Had a couple weeks off there. We went on our uh, vacation slash honeymoon slash uh, anniversary. So had a great time back. And uh, yeah, thanks for being patient. Uh, This episode is uh, with Sophie Delancey. This episode was uh, recorded uh, months ago. So working through some of the backlogs right now. And uh, Sophie is a uh, VP of theartoflowjob.com. She's also a porn advocate slash enthusiast and a really interesting story. And uh, if you want to find out more about her, you can go to mastercast.com and see all the details. So here she is. This is your first time in New York, or no? I've been here a lot. Um, I've been. I've had uh, a number of really close friends that have lived here over the years, and I was here just in for Halloween, actually. It's interesting. People from Toronto. That's where you mainly live. Is Toronto? Yeah, right? yeah. I'm from Toronto. Then work is in Montreal, but I mostly live in Toronto. <laughs> I know so many people who live in Toronto and come to New York all the time. Yeah, I mean it's weird. I guess New York is just a much more exciting city than Toronto, even though Toronto is nice. And it's a cheap overnight bus. Right. I spoke, oh, wow. <laughs> overnight bus. That makes yep. So what time do you get on the bus? It's basically, uh, like, depending on which one you take, there are a few different ones, but, like, 1130 to midnight-ish to yeah. then some in the, like, 10 to noon the you, next day. You, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. You or, like, take even... Take a NyQuil and you're, next thing you know, you're in the big app. Exactly. That's, as soon as you get across the border, I take a gravel, which for some reason knocks me right out. And a what? I'm sorry? A gravel. It's, like, a, yeah. an anti-nauseant that for some people Oh, impacts. sure. Like yeah. Benadryl or something. Yeah. Right. And so it just knocks me clean out, and I woke up, like, as we were pulling into Port Authority. Perfect. I... Yeah. Well, first off, I apologize about Port Authority. It's, it's really not that bad. In Toronto, you actually have to line up outside for the bus. Really? Well, I was so, talking about usually, but it's really eesh. filthy on the inside. In, in I'd New still York. rather be inside than freezing, waiting for an hour for I a bus I have this outside. vision of Toronto being what New York would be if it was cleaner. I mean, in some areas, maybe. I would say Toronto's like a boring New York. Really? Yeah. Like They're really nice neighborhoods. Not, not even suburban, just a little... There's a little less... Flavor's a weird word, but I think there's just a little less kind of personality. There, if you Toronto's a great place if you know the neighborhoods and you go to specific parts of town, like where I live, where a lot of my friends live, great, wonderful bars. Right. But if you just went and kind of like did a, a general go-around Toronto without having much information, it would suck. Having seen every episode of Kids in the Hall, it's safe to say I know a lot about Toronto. Yes. <laughs> Um, I've always wanted to go. I've always wanted to go to Toronto. You should go. If you go and, like, get some recommendations, it's an amazing time. But I'd say, like, even compared to Montreal. Montreal, if you go to Montreal and you just don't know much about it, you'll find the cobblestone roads. You'll find the old town. You'll find, I mean, just the fact that there's French stuff going on means that there's a certain amount of kind of culture that's different than what you're expecting from an average North American city. Toronto just, you have to work. What's the scene like in Toronto, by the way? Just, I uh, King scene, very... sex positive scene, yeah. or, um, 
In terms of the sex positive scene, I would say it's been growing really substantially recently. There's been uh, an organization called, so I'd tap that as sort of the umbrella. They do uh, crush TO parties. They do um, uh, spit parties at Oasis, which is the local play part, or uh, sex club, kind of the downtown sex club. It's called Spit? Uh, so Spit is the night they do because they have a website called The Spit Magazine, which is not a magazine. It's a website. Right. Mm. right. Um, where it's almost like community-oriented porn, which sounds weird, but is a thing. So it's people who get together to be in and make uh, both kind of like artistic photography-style porn, and now they're getting into video-style porn. So it's mostly it's mostly people in the kind of 18 to 35-ish zone. There are, there are some outliers, of course, but generally speaking, it's kind of like on the younger end of the spectrum. And they're just very talented, interesting people showing their sexualities, their bodies in a very kind of open... And I don't know, like beyond what we think of porn. So can you give me an example of like, I mean, maybe you can't obviously (laughs) go, you know, frame by frame, Mm -hmm. but so they're just like, Hey, we're going to make a porn about this and it's going to have all these different costumes. Uh, That's what I'm imagining. No, it's more like, Hey, so we want to do a shoot this week. Who's around? Who like, do you want to do something by yourself? Do you want to do something softer? Do you want to do something harder? Do you want to do something with a partner or partners? Do you want to just meet up with somebody and do something on the fly? So it's just, it's super open ended. And it's, um, they do both, they do shoots kind of ad hoc and then they do shoots, live shoots at these events. So the events are at a sex club. So there's sex, obviously fun, you know, general sex club stuff going on. But then there are specific rooms that are cordoned off where people can watch porn being made. And it's made in a really sort of calm, non-directed environment, which is nice. So you see it happen organically, but you also get to see the creative experience a little bit. That's cool. really that's really interesting. Yeah, so that's been happening and they do so they do um the crush parties which are they're parties that always have a theme and there are um consensual hookup booths and there are kind of safety monitors so and safer sex products available. So it's a party that has a little bit of a cruisy element, but right. it's it's queer positive, it's poly positive, it's kink positive. It's just kind of you show up and if you feel like hooking up, you can navigate that discussion. It's not implied or necessary but it is something that can occur and they also have puppy love which is a dialed back version of that where it's a party that really feels like kind of grade seven eight exploring so they have a spin the bottle game that you can opt into they have uh like pervy crafts they have like a dance floor with kind of cheesy pop songs and slow dances so it's it's fun that they have these kind of different options for your level of of kind of sexual engagement from really tame, maybe a little kiss on the cheek to fairly substantial, you know, sex parties with Sibians. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. It seems really interesting. I, I've always found that uh, in New York, it's so there's because there's so much going on, it's really difficult to, you know, pinpoint one thing or, you know, because there's just so much going on. I yeah. imagine in Toronto, it almost sounds like more of a smaller community type of vibe. It is. There. And I mean, there are like, there are other sex clubs. Um, one of the main sex clubs ended up shutting down and it wasn't, in my opinion, I prefer the one that's kind of prevailed. Um, it has a lot of history. It was a gay bathhouse that was actually raided in the eighties. And then eventually the, that area became less queer oriented over time and it moved to like just a little bit further um northwest so that bathhouse shut down there's still there's still a fairly substantial gay bathhouse culture in toronto but this one instead of 
becoming, I don't know, just another building, it stayed within a kind of a sex-positive realm and became a an open-ended, for-anybody sex club with, among other things, a really beautiful heated outdoor pool. Wow. Which works all year round, and I have to say, there is nothing more kind of sexy and romantic than hanging out in a nude, nude in a heated pool while the snow falls. I'm sure, I'm it's sure. It's beautiful, yeah. So It sounds really amazing. It's a nice place. It's called Oasis, and if anybody's ever in Toronto, definitely check it out. The, uh, what about the, the BDSM scene? Is it pretty? Um, I would say there are, um, I mean, first off at that club, there's a, there's a dungeon area and there's certainly some nights that are more, uh, kink oriented. Uh, there's stuff at Studio 10. Uh, so I don't know to what extent people in New York are familiar with, uh, Carrie Gray of Aslan Leather, but Aslan Leather is kind of, at least in Canada, the preeminent maker of all things bondage and strap-on related specifically gender play impact play really beautiful they do vegan stuff as well but uh carrie gray is uh kind of a staple within the canadian kink culture and he's the uh the person who runs aslan leather kind of is and and runs play parties so uh they're called switch parties there's a website called house of switch which again is sort of community oriented porn and that's sort of enmeshed with the, the larger queer porn scene in general because Toronto um, is home to the Feminist Porn Awards. So every year, and I think this is the 10th year, uh, we have these amazing awards where people primarily, I mean, I guess I would say primarily from Porn Valley in the Bay Area, but also people from uh, Germany and the Netherlands and Australia and uh, yeah, just a variety of parts of the world come to Toronto and screen their work, discuss their work, and then get rewarded for it. And it's great. So, what is what is constitute what constitutes good feminist porn? And I may, may I mean I don't want to put you on the spot. No, but, that's kind know. of that's the question. Sure, because I would consider what we do, among other things, feminist or ethical. I mean, it it's interesting because as um, so one of the things that happens in Toronto is for the past two years, it's not happening this year, but it's coming back in 2016, uh, is the Feminist Porn Conference, which is a two-day conference that accompanies the many activities and and award show of the Feminist Porn Awards. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. Right. And so that's uh, that's organized primarily by Tristan Termino and then uh, Constant Pen- Constance Penley and uh, Lynn Camellia and... Uh, Mireille uh, Miller-Young and a few other people are involved in creating that, but sort of it's it's academics talking about feminist porn for two days, right. and there are like three or four sessions, and then each session has three or four streams that you can go into, and a lot of what that dis- that discussion is just what is feminist porn. Yeah. So there are, I think, I guess about like 20 plus discussions that break down different elements of feminist porn and try to address it. One thing that's been kind of discussed more and more in the past, I'd say like two years or so, has been the idea of feminist porn versus ethical porn. So what feminist porn is ideally is it's a porn that espouses feminist ethics. And by feminist ethics, we obviously mean sex positive feminist ethics, not like second wave concerns. So I guess choice feminism, Mm -hmm. the idea that you can be a sexual person and be self-actualized and that the patriarchy doesn't necessarily completely invalidate our ability to choose to be sexual, to choose to be consensually objectified, what have you. Um, So this is specifically focusing on making a, a porn that is good for women, which I think whether or not this is actually true, dominant culture tends to see uh, mainstream porn as being not as friendly to women, either as consumers or as performers. 
that's not necessarily true. And I think a lot of times we trip up aesthetics and ethics and assume that if something looks soft and friendly, it must be soft and friendly. If something looks hard and mean, it must be hard and mean. And I guess that's kind of the crux of a lot of people's issues with BDSM as well. Um, So... I think there there is always a concern for feminist ethics, but when we talk about ethical porn being perhaps a better name for that, it's because, well, first off, capital F feminism often leaves out other people, and so capital F feminism can be racist, it can be transphobic, it can be ableist, it can be fatphobic, it can be classist. There are all sorts of issues and intersections that feminists should think about but don't always think about. Mm-hmm. And so, and also some of the feminist critic, uh, criticism of porn is in essence actually about the, the mistreatment of men. The idea that men are not as valued as porn performers, that men are put into a culture where they have to look a certain way as well, that they have to perform in certain ways and maybe take performance enhancing drugs that are ultimately really bad for their bodies. So, I mean, that is embodied in feminism, but perhaps the the term ethical porn is a more appropriate term for all of the issues that are encompassed in kind of the criticism of mainstream porn. That's a lot. That is a lot. I don't even know if that answers your question at all. (laughs) I did mention I've had like a ridiculous amount of coffee today. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Um, well, let's let's we'll, we'll come back to that. Yes, and we can also break it down into bite-sized chunks. Yeah, so well, that def- was... I definitely want to come back to that. But let's start. Let's go back to you yourself. You as a person growing up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. No, my parents actually never gave me the talk or anything like that. There was enough of a permissive culture. We ended up going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show every month and okay. kind of getting involved in the shadow cast and dressing up in lingerie. So it just and and Hedvig and the Angry Inch came out around there and that I'm hopefully gonna I think I've conned my boyfriend into coming to, to see the musical with me while we're in town. So I think there's just there's sort of a a culture of sexual openness and Mm -hmm. like fluidity of gender that kind of for whatever reason from a number of different mediums came to me and it was sort of I always liked sex and and relationships and dating and somehow I found and maybe this is another Canadiana element I did used to listen to um sex with Sue with Sue Johansson who was a lovely older woman I guess kind of like a Dr. Ruth type figure but for Canada and she had a show on the women's television network that my parents would would watch and I would listen in the bathroom and the hallway where the acoustics were good enough that I could kind of pick up on this stuff so yeah, just kind of a variety of different things. And then I went to university and I was very sex positive and very out and sort of involved in our our branch of V-Day and our like the queer organization and the gender. We had a union for gender empowerment, which I'm not even totally sure what that means, That's but amazing. it meant all sort of or all sorts of great things. So I just I always found myself getting involved in sort of sexuality oriented activism and developing a little sense of like kinkiness and and uh I even though I studied opera. I took some women's studies courses and I kept writing about porn and I kept writing about the idea of kind of a porn that was not entirely amateur, but not entirely professional somewhere in between. And that had a, like a high quality aesthetic, but also was not as kind of produced as the mainstream. Right. And then I finished school and I'm, this was uh 2009, 2010. So 
at a time where we were just starting to recover from the recession. I don't know how I did this. I had my last exam on like whatever Tuesday. I went on Craigslist and just perused because I wanted to stay in Montreal. And I found a job looking for a PR and marketing coordinator at what it turned out was an adult, like a sensible, artsy, sensual adult site. Mm -hmm. I think I did the interview on Thursday or Friday and I started work on Monday. And that's the job I have today. Hey. I'm the vice president of the company now, but it's sort of it's the it's the same company that I started with five years ago, almost five years ago. That's amazing. Yep. And <laughs> when you well, okay, let's talk about let's talk about the sites I spoke mm-hmm. because that way we build a right. One is called the Art of Blowjob. Yep. And then now we have the Art of Cunnilingus, which is uh, something we've been working towards for a very long time, and it just launched actually like last week, two weeks ago. So when you're when you're interviewing. About this job, mm-hmm. you there. I mean, you know what the the site is all about. Going yeah, into it and- I had seen like I, I. They said I think like for a central art artful uh, erotica website, right. and so I was like, hey, here's my CV. I'm really interested in this. I have like you know I've written some papers. Blah 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 blah. Um, I'd love to know a bit more about the company, and so they sent me like a reel, and they sent me links to the mm-hmm. to the site and. It all seemed interesting, and so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's so it, the the main site, the first site, mm-hmm. was devoted just to women? Yes. Uh, so women giving blowjobs to uh, male-identified people. And that's not – it's funny. It's not – I think we would love to work in the gay market, but it's such a different market that currently we've – like over the past the, – the site launched in 2007, we've developed a really substantial – Kind of like a, I don't know, a place in in the the kind of more heterosexual focused market that I don't know if we could like oh, it would it would fall to me to find a way to get into the to the gay uh, the gay porn landscape right. maybe someday. How does that so when you're on the outside of the gay porn market, mm-hmm. what makes you think oh I mean I'm I'm sure it is I'm just I don't know what would be different. Um, I guess it would be like analogous to like if you were if you ran a bookstore and all of a sudden you wanted to get into like I don't know you wanted to open a bar yeah like so just a completely different world where like yes theoretically I'm sure we could do this but or we could open up a bookstore that also sells like music right so that's where I guess the art of cunnilingus. It's an oral site, which yeah. is definitely appropriate, and it still serves like a different facet, but our same general demographic, which is people who like seeing women in their porn yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and the website is all about women giving oral sex to male-identified people. Yeah. And how do you find it? Because you have to. From what I gathered from the site, it seemed mm-hmm. like you have to find someone who is. I want to stress, you're not paying for this. This is not a paid advertisement, I want to say. No, but, yeah. This is very, just, just a discussion. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, but the, um, you have to find someone who actually enjoys. Do, how yeah. do you interview someone to. Thoroughly. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounded dirty when you say. Oh, but, yeah. Sorry. Right. I, I didn't raise my eyebrow, All right, to right. be clear. Right, right. So, but how do you, how do you make sure, okay, the person who's doing this is not doing this just for the check they actually enjoy? Yeah. How, how does that 
Well, first off, in Montreal, there isn't an in Toronto. So we kind of, we've shot in both uh, cities over the years. Um, there isn't a real adult industry. Mm-hmm. There, It's not like in LA where there's a rotation of people who come because they want to work in porn. They want to make money. They want to make a name for themselves. And that's why they're there. We find people in a ton of different ways from like, Ha ha ha! Word of mouth. Yeah, oh, there are so many mouth puns. Oh my god! Um, but uh, yeah, from from word of mouth from people who've performed on the site before. Uh, for example, the uh, the Spit magazine that I was talking about earlier. A lot of people who've done that have done the Art of Blowjob. We've had friends of friends. I've had several of my ex boyfriends appear on it. Um, it's just it's been and and we we also have had performers who self identify at least part time. What they do is performing. They may right. do. Other things. We've had interested, curious couples who have come to us wanting to do things. So people tend to largely come to us um, knowing what we do. Mm-hmm. Or if they're people we reach out to, then we preface what we say by like, here's the website. Yeah. Here's what it's about. And it's not it's not just about um I think what we've tried to do is to differentiate ourselves from other bill job sites, is it's not about a blowjob as a passive act. It's not about kind of irrumatio or like face fucking. It's it's about the kind of skill and sensuality and enjoyment of the act. So it is, we actually have an educational uh, series that we've started on the site as well. So, which is as much about technique as it is about discussing desires and kind of finding ways to to have the sex life that you want to have both in terms of blowjobs and other things. Um, But yeah, there certainly is a lot of reliance on variety and creativity and interest and imagination. So we do need people who understand that first and foremost. And then like the discussions we have with people are also about like, do you understand what it is to get into the adult industry? Do you understand what it is to have your face out there? Um, You know, do you ever want to work with children or in politics? All of these things. And then, and making sure also that they have, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's a partner, people who are supportive of this and who would be not safety net necessarily, but someone to be a sounding board, someone to be, comforting and respectful and understanding even if there are other people in their lives who aren't just to make sure that they have kind of a framework where they can do porn and it's a net positive experience how do you make sure i mean how do you check that how do you make sure that someone has well i mean you have to take them at their word and i think part of it is uh often these discussions happen like in person over coffee especially when when i do shoots in toronto like it is People have referred to me as a porn mother because I will often like bake something and there'll be like some fresh fruit, especially if we're doing a shoot. Then it's like, you know, have a little like hummus and veggie plate. And and they're on the questionnaire that I send out before we do meetups. Uh, among other things, I ask, are do you have any favorite foods that you yeah, <laughs> that yeah. like, like snacky things? So if they really like a specific kind of dark chocolate and make sure it's there, get like the water and a little tea and all that stuff. So... Yes, it's it's a face-to-face soothing encounter where I try to like foster an element of kind of candor. Yeah. And and comfort where people can be candid. Have you had situations where you uh had someone you're filming and then you realize okay this this is not fitting our what we're looking for? A couple times. And when it comes to that like you know, the the checks are already cut and it is what it is. And maybe it doesn't make it onto the site or maybe you keep it. And at some point down the line, it might fit for something different. So what, what 
in those situations, what was different about it that made it not not right for the set? I, I don't even know if there's like set examples because I think we are open to a bunch of different things and styles and elements, but just sometimes, and it can even happen with people who on another day has, has shot other things and it worked, just that the feeling is somehow mm-hmm. off. It's just not quite usable for whatever reason. It just doesn't feel quite as sensual or quite as nuanced and varied. And within that, this has only happened, like, I think maybe once or twice. And right. it's always been stuff where it's, it's <sighs> that we're on the fence. There's never been anything that's felt like downright horrible. Right, right. But yeah, just, I think occasionally there, it misses the mark a little bit. And yeah. So you, you said you've, you're, your ex-boyfriends have been part of these shoots as well. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? You're just like, hey, we need someone. I'm a very, I'm a very good ex-girlfriend, <laughs> and on several occasions, I've been able to say, hey, and especially with the art of blowjob, um, we do shoot people's uh, men's faces as part of it, but not exclusively because historically, when it started, um, the the male performer was actually also uh, filming the content. It started oh, just, it started as just like a couple making a site, and then slowly it's grown to be like a, a multi-model format. And uh, so he actually was holding a rig and therefore could not right. have his face in the shot. Right. Um, so as a result, we still do – we have done shoots where it's from the waist down. And in one case, one of them had his face on film. The other one didn't. But it was just – it was nice to be able to say, hey, so whether you do or do not want to be identifiable – you're a good person who I, you know, trust and know that you would be into this type of thing, know right. that you would probably be a good fit for this type of thing, know that you would be respectful of your partner. How do you feel about getting paid to get a blowjob yeah, on yeah. camera? Right. And so, yeah, just people I trust. And yeah. that includes some ex-boyfriends. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, like, is your week, like, how many times do you film a week or do you set, like, a week aside where um, you do a whole bunch or how does that work? We've done both over different times. Right now we're shooting primarily in, in uh, Montreal. Mm-hmm. So, for that, we tend to do one to two a week. Right. But there have been periods where it's made more sense for whether, for scheduling reasons to do a bunch at the same time. Um, yeah, we've kind of gone back and forth. <laughs> I just find it really fascinating because, I mean, Especially since you are not in, like you said, like I know, I know people who've worked in California mm-hmm. in the, you know, Pornhub. Yeah. Not real Pornhub.com, but you know. Yes, which Pornhub. actually Pornhub.com is in Montreal. Oh, really? Yep. Go, that, do you know that company, the company that owns it? What's the name of it? So it used to be called Manwin. They changed their name to MindGeek and they just right. own everything. Yeah. And it's actually been affecting the porn industry Horribly. because they've been buying a whole bunch of, and like, dropping the co- I mean are you kind of isolated because you're in Canada no it's something I mean if anything it's interesting because we actually when we have like adult industry meetups in in Montreal we actually see all these people yeah. and they're they're nice people right. the people who work and especially because at this point this company owns I mean all of the main tubes but then also tubes like like you uh you porn porn hub mm-hmm. uh Xtube, right. all of those. But then they also have bought out Brazzers and Digital Playground and Twisties, and they own the online and television properties for Playboy. Right. So it's a lot of other like content producers as well. So what's ended up happening is there was a time when so there was a time when when tube sites were just like illegal content. Yeah. And then at a certain point, 
the industry got wise to them and said, okay, no, you know, we need to do something based on affiliate sharing model. It still didn't seem too fair because they, they would get 50% of, of the, you know, if someone clicked through the referral link, they would get 50%, right? which is still substantial. And it's kind of surprising that the adult industry works to that extent. Right. But when you have all the traffic in the world, that's what you can do. Yeah. And so that was actually working pretty well. And some people chose not to buy in still because of what they had done historically to the to the industry, but it was kind of hard not to because, like it or lump it, they were the people who were kind of in control of the game, so it made more sense to give them some stuff, not right. necessarily everything. So there was a lot of, especially for smaller producers like us, give them a few videos, but keep most of our content for yeah. our members. Now what they've been able to do, because they've bought up content producers is flood the sites with their content. Yeah. Use their content with um meta tags that actually like they have one of their content sites and and the title of the video is the art of blowjob. Okay. So when you search the art of blowjob, we're not the first yeah. uh target. And so you can't get to the front page. You can't get to the top of the list because right. it's stacked up differently. And because they have so much of that content, they can all of a sudden say, okay, well, we need to need, we need to have X amount of videos a month from you. Right. Videos need to be at least this long. That's kind of creepy. It is. And for a smaller producer where it's like, okay, over the years we've had the Art of Blowjob, we have close to 500 uh, updates now. Right. They, they could easily ask for a fifth of that in the next year. Yeah. Which is, you know... Eight years work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's substantial. I've heard they've also, because of some of their uh, buying up different properties, that the the actors aren't making as much as well. Yeah, I mean, it it ends up just being that producers outside of the people who are in this company can't afford to make the content that they used to because piracy and and the the effects of tube sites has been that they're not making as much money and it doesn't make sense for them to make new content when it seems like old content is selling just as well on the tubes. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of discussion that perhaps this is going to really drive down the creation of new content for a long time. And then people will finally get tired of what looks like stale 2006 to 2008 porn, I guess. And then it'll be like, okay, so no new porn has been made in five years maybe that'll restart the industry, but it would also kill the industry in the process. Yeah. That's kind of, it's, it's really weird how that, that works. So how, how, what do you do to combat that other than just keep doing what you're doing? Or is your, is your audience, is your specialty so niche that you're sort of buffered from that or. I mean, it is and it isn't because when we first started out, what we were doing was very unique in terms of the aesthetic. So Mm -hmm. as much as it's about, it's about blowjobs and it's about sort of like something that is, a little more on the personal side, a little bit more on the skillful side. It's also really aesthetically pleasing porn. It's done in a cinematic style. Our, you know, our photos are shot in very kind of like creative, beautiful ways. And when we first started out, that was not what porn looked like at all. But then people started to get wise to the fact that stuff that looked like erotica, but had more of a hardcore element really sells and crosses markets to men and women and to couples. And sort of, it seemed like it's something that a very large chunk of the population wants, yeah. um, they really started getting into it. And now art porn is 
the genre or actually actually people are saying that now is getting to bdsm is the genre but there was a period where everybody wanted it kind of soft and pretty and now it seems like there's being a backlash to that which is very interesting and actually there's all sorts of discussions at adult industry um events and and workshops about kind of looking into like oh cuckolding is really big now and like you know, like uh there's been a lot of discussion about um nomenclature for trans women in porn and how we need to remove certain more like offensive terms because it's really successful as a genre yeah. and with that success comes you know I would say treating your performers with respect and using the names that they want to be called, not the names that make them feel terrible. Right. So, but it's, yeah, anyway, so in a sense, we are, we were very different. Now we're different more because it's personality oriented, it's skill oriented, so we're moving a little more into the educational realm as well. And it's still a niche that is underserved. When you say, but it's hard. We're not impervious to the issues. Wait, when, when you say when you say skill, though, it must be fairly difficult to know if you have a new performer coming in if that person is skillful or not. Or that's what, true. How do you how do you test? How do you do? You just I ask mean, them about or how you- yeah, it's sort of a discussion that happens, and so I have. Um, Kind of a complicated story. I I was a performer on the site. Mm-hmm. My um, videos have been taken down because my partner at the time was cool with it. And But afterwards, when we broke up a little while after, decided that, unfortunately, stigma against porn performers is a substantial issue. Sure. And while, you know, when we were together and we saw, like, a very long-term future together, it it didn't, like, if there was ever a storm, it was something that we would weather together it once we were no longer together it started to seem like he he got a little more anxious about it yeah. potentially impacting his career and then you know we weren't together anymore so there was less incentive to keep it up so sure. we just I, we decided that for you know emotion safety and also for for safety of job it was probably for the best yeah. to be taken down but certainly i have enough experience both like as someone who i i write and record the scripts for the educational series I've performed on the site before and I kind of have watched so many blowjob videos that I, like <laughs> there's like this substantial part of my brain that's just blowjob techniques right. so I can talk to people and say like okay so not like talking through a blowjob in a very right. kind of it, not in a creepy way, but sort of talking about, like, what are some techniques that you like to do? Right. What are some techniques that you've, like, seen on our site? Because we, we give, you know, passes and say, like, check it out. Right. See, not we're not testing them, but seeing that they sort of respond to what we're doing. Yeah. And so it's a discussion. And maybe sometimes it's also, it depends on, it, we, we shoot a lot of couples, but we also don't, we can't always find couples who are able and willing to shoot. So we shoot people who we kind of, like, are either lovers or who get to know each other a little bit beforehand, but don't necessarily have a ton of familiarity with yeah. each other's bodies. So it can, it sometimes that chemistry is magic, and it's really cool to see people who don't know each other very well get into that. And we've actually started some sort of, some, like, ongoing lover-couple <laughs> type scenarios that way. But um, it can also be hard, like, I'm right. just going to do these two things that I know work. Yeah. But, um... Seven and the art of cunnilingus has took my suggestion because people will say <laughs> you should start the art of cunnilingus and I want to be like gee I've never thought of that <laughs> of course we've been thinking about it of yeah. course it's something and but it's so it's underrepresented in porn mm-hmm. there's virtually no websites that are entirely focused on it like there are tumblers that are focused on it right. but in terms of like a like a substantial original creative endeavor 
with a lot of money behind it, yeah. focus solely on cunnilingus. There's not much. Yeah. It's because it's really hard to shoot. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because the stuff that feels best to, like, me, you can't see right. anything. You see the back of someone's head. You see their nose mushed in at a weird angle. Right. You see, like, sweat and brow furrowing. So... First off, it's about balancing, like actually sitting down and and writing out the techniques yeah. and saying, okay, so here are the ones that feel good where you can see some of the face, where you can maybe see some of the tongue, where you can see movement and action. And here are the ones that feel great where you can see nothing. Mm-hmm. Now let's try to organically have a balance of both of those. And so we have that discussion a little bit that sometimes it needs to be some of the action that's more, and I mean... This is also a discussion that the partners have beforehand where they say, what feels good for you? But you're not just going to want to see a cunnilingus video where it's the one technique that feels good for you until you have an orgasm. Yeah, yeah. There's variety. So there's teasing at the beginning. So we show light kissing. We show a little tongue teasing. We show light, you know, caressing and then fingers and then a little more exploration. So eventually it gets really deep, but there is visual interest that, goes through like the the foreplay to the cunnilingus and we have a lot of cameras now and that's another reason why as a smaller company we invest a lot of money on our cameras and our lenses and people who like i mean we we keep a very small uh team on set it's usually just one person Mm -hmm. and for some of us actually like when i was shooting and for some other couples it's us setting up the cameras so there's no one in the room um, but having the skill, the, the technology and not just the skill to like operate the cameras, but the skill to set up the cameras so that none of them are in the shot. Right. We have six cameras. So close up, far away, moving with the action. Yeah. The other thing that, that, um, kind of like his videos tend to not have is a face close up on the woman receiving pleasure. Right. We don't see the furrowed brow and the right, panting right. and then also full shots. So it's this like phenomenal undertaking. You've to got have everything that, yeah. The, like from the side, from the back, from the front, the face, the this, the that. And then to have to edit all of that together because it's a phenomenal amount of footage to have, all of that. You've got to have so much hard drive yeah. space. It's insane. Be- oh my God. Yes. We just have <sighs> right. so much hard drive space. It's absurd. And so it's as much about the shooting and, and the balancing of the techniques as it is then about balancing that in the way it's shot. Yeah. And we've seriously joked about like, we should have picture in picture right. so that you can have like a split screen four ways. So you have like, this is what's going on close up. This is what her facial reaction is. This is what it looks like from a distance. And this is like an alternate side view. So how do you decide when you're going to end? Cause in, in, most porn, mm-hmm. with when, when there's a male present, it usually ends roughly after the money shot. Right? Yeah. Uh, how do you decide when it ends with the kind of, is it is it's, it on like the fourth orgasm or is it's it not a learning fourth? experience? Yeah. So I think in general we do shoot shorter videos or our content is it's not it's not like a music video per se, right. but it's a little more not edited in a substantial like duping way but it is definitely especially when we have this many there the these many uh cameras there is a certain amount of editing going on so 
we tend to keep things a little shorter. It's not purely linear. So usually within that, that gets at least one orgasm, sometimes several orgasms that happen relatively linearly, but not, it's not just like, here is the video. We set up the camera. Then this is the sex that happened. And this is the orgasm that happened. There's a little more kind of playfulness that allows us to kind of move the way the eye naturally moves when watching sex. So we're not totally sure yet. We kind of play it from from situation to situation because yeah, sure it depends on performer. Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, I think there's value in having porn that reflects actual lived experience. Yeah, yeah. What we do in some ways reflects that, but in some ways also is still made as a creative endeavor to titillate and be erotic. Do you ever have? I mean, so what happens? I'm sure maybe this hasn't happened. I don't know. I would imagine because you're filming stuff that for many people, they use it as foreplay, mm-hmm. right? I would just imagine every now and again, you'd have situations where people are like, where you're done filming, mm-hmm. but people, they're, they're still ready to go. Oh, yeah. That does so, happen. So that they're like, okay, everyone take the, we're going to go off in the other room. Or how does that... It depends. Because that's First, sort of also un, kind of, un, I mean, technically unprofessional, I guess, isn't it? Or is it like... Um, Yeah. I mean, I found, especially when I was shooting, what I was... I was trying to cultivate an, I don't know, an air of openness to right. that. And to be clear, like, that, yes, we're shooting at the time we're shooting blowjob video. So, like, yes, we're shooting a blowjob video. So, the blowjob has to be present. Right. But while you're here understanding like the time you know the general time frame i can't be here all day and we can't pay you to be here for hours and hours and hours on end to have any kind of sex you want but do the things that make you feel aroused so like giving them a little time alone at the beginning leaving the camera on or even turning it off if they need some time alone at varying points happy to edit around if there's other stuff that that doesn't fit with what we're doing or like wouldn't make sense or isn't linear or whatever or sometimes keeping it in, like it is, it's a blowjob or cuddling is focused. But if there's other stuff going on that's compelling and interesting, we'll keep it in. Sure. So being open ended to that, I think, has been valuable for us. Move my phone. Here we go. There I want to read the email you sent me. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is very interesting here. Um, it was quick. It was in the little form contact us section. Right, but it's a, we spoke about it on Twitter. All blah blah blah. Uh, here's what he said. I'm the VP of a group of beautiful porn sites focused on oral sex. I'm also kinky as fuck. Yes. I dating primarily as blonde, but I'm I'm blonde. Blonde. Dumb. (laughs) But dating someone who has brought out the switch in me, I'd love to come talk to you sometime. Let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. You primarily identify as a dom. Uh Uh-huh. And first off, when did that identity first strike you? Or... I think my favorite, like, I like to think of my dom root, and I, my uh, family is Canadian, but um, my dad uh, lived in Scotland for the first 20 years of his life. My mother's, for like, lineage, very Scottish, and so we spent a lot of time over in Scotland visiting family in my youth. And so apparently, um, and I do have a recollection of this, I was six or seven years old and I was on like a, a beach in at the outer Hebrides. So just like a rocky, sandy, amazing beach. It was cold. And I remember I was wearing this red sweater and, and, and I guess jeans and like galoshes. And what I was doing was I was, there were these little Scottish boys who were just like hanging out on the beach as well. 
And I was just bossing them around and telling them to go get, like, driftwood and stuff and bring it over here. And I don't know why, but my dad scolded me and was like, you're being really bossy right now. And, you know, that's not very nice. You don't want to be mean to them. And I remember trying to articulate, like, no, it's just a game. Right. And that's what it was. It was, like, a very early expression of, of, like, dominance as play and dominance as something that is both i guess is mean but is for fun and i i would like to think that even then everybody understood right, right. in in whatever ways 6 or 7 year olds can understand these things but i think that was sort of a recurring thing in my youth and then kind of as i got older i noticed you know i have i'm fairly brash i'm fairly outspoken i have a, i don't know kind of a i don't know a little a little Spark in me and a little snark, and those two things come out together and relate to the way I am in the bedroom. Right. And I've also always been attracted to people who are both like very self possessed and amazing, wonderful people, and often very outgoing and outspoken, but who have kind of softer elements to them and who have a tendency to prefer to be led, I guess. And so sure. it's nice been, it. yeah, it's yeah. been a natural sort of. Sinking up of personalities that then seems to translate into uh, sex. So it's sort of, it, it it's come out in various ways. And as I got older, especially as I got into relationships, I mean, relationships when I was probably in my high school years too, but especially in university, I met people who were kinky and actually got to explore it in more substantial ways. I mean, there was spanking and there was caning. And uh, so even in high school, I guess those things were happening. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> I remember having like a collar and wearing it to look cool, but then putting it on my boyfriend and deciding that was the thing when I was like 16. So it was there, but it did become much more kind of like practiced. And and the school I went to was very like sex positive and queer and open. And so we had like Andrea Zanin come in to give talks about like making your own flogger out of bicycle tubes and things <laughs> like that and kind of like learning BDSM. And in Montreal, they have the is it ACCM? I can't remember what the acronym is, but it's like a kink-oriented kind of like, almost like a Skillshare. Okay, sure. That has uh, ongoing workshops. So, yeah, it, it came to be by like my late teens, early 20s that I definitely found myself being at least a switch, if not a full-on dom. And as I moved back to Toronto in the past three years and dated, I just seem to have some phenomenal subdar. I have, I give up <laughs> this like domness and I just like, Sometimes I get the kinder surprise, which I think is my favorite thing. There was a guy who I had a crush on when I was 15 years old. And we had this kind of funny anachronistic relationship. And then when I was 25, I moved back to Toronto. He messaged me on OkCupid and was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, oh, of course I remember you. Asked me out on a date. Great first date. And then we had had just enough to kind of drink that I was feeling a little, we had kissed and I was feeling a little whatever, just open and nice. I said, do you have any, I think I said weird sex stuff to declare. (laughs) And I was just being flippant. He said, oh, well, I'm submissive. And I was like, correct. That's the right answer. (laughs) And then I think we were sex friends for about two years. So that was great. Um, Yeah. So that, that really worked out. But then just very recently, I started dating someone who... At least when I first met him, I I understood him to be Oops, oh, that's cool. Sorry. Um uh to be like in line with the other people I was dating to have a similar personality traits and things that I guess at this point I've come to understand as also probably being coded sub. And then I don't know what happened. We went on this 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 first date where actually 
<laughs> and he knew what he was getting into because he, we met on OkCupid, which it seems like, I don't know if that's the way to meet people it's in New York, too, but yeah. oh yeah, it's definitely the way to meet people in Toronto. And so he, he messaged me there and I responded and we had a nice little banter and then I had strep throat, so I wasn't um, ready to go on a date just yet. So when I was ready a couple of days later, we, we I kind of reconfirmed. I was like, hey, I'm feeling better. Let's go for a drink. And he said, so I have to tell you something. I realized you looked a little familiar on your on your OkCupid profile photo. I follow your Twitter. <laughs> so he follows my porn Twitter, which right. is littered with very obvious, you know, things about my sexuality and my proclivities and and all sorts of stuff. And he had just listened to the podcast interview I did with um, Billy Presida last time I was in town. So this was, you know, like two, three months ago. And it was the most candid interview I think I've ever done. It was just like he was he was talking about my my personal tumbler and how it's full of like rimming and pegging and stuff like right, that right. and and like was talking to me about my kinks and talking to me about like the dissolution of my relationship and how that impacted like taking porn off what that was of me and just like very personal on an emotional front and on a sexual front just kind of all of it yeah so he knew what he was getting into he knew that i i did as a dom and that i was very kind of sexually experienced and open and interesting and he still went out with me mm-hmm. but then as we started to like the the date went well and we we went back to his place and I didn't want to have sex but we were definitely fooling around and we just had this natural I don't know even though he like he doesn't really identify as kinky like he's sex positive and happy to explore and all that but he just had this natural dominance and it translated somehow into a submission with me and it's very alienating and and interesting but very confusing. A lot of people have problems, or I should say that not problems is the wrong word. They have a difficulty if they find something in someone else that brings a different part of the mouth mm-hmm. that they've never Because usually, I mean, there are people who they identify this way their entire lives and they think, well, that's just it. And then when yeah. they experience something different, it makes everything previous kind of, kind of confusing for them as well. For sure. And I think like, I mean, I identify as queer, and so I've never really had confusing feelings. Like, I've always known that I'm kind of just down with any flavor. But uh, for people I know who identified exclusively as lesbian until they met, you know, a cis man that they really liked. And those kinds of things are very – and I mean, I don't necessarily mean to say that, like, that type of sexuality is is the same as kink, but right. there are some elements of like a, a fairly strong identity that you feel. And I'm not like a stone top. I'm not. I'm I've I'm open and I've tried and I've explored and I've like haha role played switching. Yeah. But it's always to get to that point where I go. I think I once said, I was uh, I was being topped by someone who was very submissive. Yeah. Just as this play thing. And I think I said, oh, this is so cute. It's like seeing a dog trying to walk on its hind legs. You think you're people. And then, like, took control. And so, but that's really the the experience I have being submissive. So, it's interesting. And he's very open to me exerting dominance and exploring that. But somehow it hasn't felt right yet, really. So, there have been these little, like, glimmer moments. But... Yeah, it's well, still good for you for because there's a lot of people who'd run the other way. You know, yeah, and I kind of, think there was certainly a little bit of that in me, right. not necessarily to run the other way because emotionally it was great, but certainly to put the brakes on sex yeah. and have like some substantial talk and like 
and really try to make sure that my dominus was being kind of respected and understood. Right. I just kind of went with it. And it's been challenging, but also really interesting. And so now I guess, I don't know, am I a switch? Am I like a, to- a dom except with this one person? I don't know. That's still that's still good, though. That, yeah. that you can, I mean, that's the nicest thing about it today. Whereas, you know, not too long ago, people sort of had to keep to this thing yeah. that they identify with. And if anything else on the outside, they'd be, ooh, look at that. You know, everyone would be kind of uh, pointing and going, ooh, what's happening? What's happening? And it seems like it's becoming more and more okay for people to just be fluid. And yeah. that seems, you know. Do you find, because every single day you're around blowjobs, mm-hmm. or I should say you're around oral sex every single day, has mm-hmm. that changed your... How has that impacted your personal life in any way, shape, or form? Or is it just like a job? Is it just like it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with your personal life? Or well, I think at times I may have that whole like I'm a chef who came home and needs to try a new recipe in the kitchen. Right. So definitely partners who like oral sex will get it in abundance, and I'll be like, I need to try a weird new thing that I thought of, or yeah. like I saw this in a video and I just wanted to see what it does when I try it. So there's a lot of that. Um, I think in terms of it's it's helped me to kind of play around with, especially when it comes to blowjobs, doing that in a dominant way. Whereas I think a lot of our audience members assume it to be a submissive act. It's sort of been the times when I come up against that and try to verbalize as kind of a, a promoter of the site that no, giving oral sex is not necessarily a submissive act. It can right. be it can be endowed with anything or nothing, depending on how you feel about it. At times it's actually been kind of like positive and cathartic to then enjoy a very dominant blowjob sure. at home. Or dominant kind of like this or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, to kind of play around with the ways in which especially a heteronormative, kind of more mainstream porn audience intuits things right. to kind of then look at that and say, okay. That's not necessarily how it goes in my personal life, nor in my professional life, and kind of give me a little strength when I need it. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I know people who um, their their whole world is nothing but sex, and sometimes they are like, listen, they don't. I mean, maybe it's really really kinky during their day job or something, and then when they go home, they just want. They want vanilla sex is yeah. almost kinky because it's so out of the ordinary oh, for yeah. their daily life, right? Well, I wonder if it's going to get to the point where it's too much for me because right now, um, over the past like six months, I've started doing burlesque. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, my 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 big act that I've been doing so far is a a dom act where I have I've now gotten it to I pull um, handcuffs out of the side of my top and then I take off my top and I have a corset underneath and I pull out a flogger, which is nestled under one of my breasts and then I pull out um oh and I, and I come out with a crop so there's the crop and then when I pull down my I have like a really like good tight pencil skirt and I pull it down and oh there's a there's a paddle and I use that for a while and then the fiesta resistance as I turn around take off the corset with the, just the pasties underneath and lo and behold I also put on a ball gag which I realize is not a dom act but I have to dom myself as the dom because I don't showing, have another person you're showing the perspective yes. of this is how it works exactly you know? yeah so that is a lot of fun and then I also um, with uh, Samantha Fraser from uh, notyourmothersplayground.com and also the playground conference which is the most phenomenal sex positive conference in Toronto so you should come up. We're not that far. We're we're a, an overnight bus ride away. Um, that happens every year in November. So she's 
the coolest, and she's also my co-host for Tell Me Something Good, which is a sexuality-based uh, storytelling night that happens cool. once a month. That is going to be a podcast in, I think, two to three weeks. That's great. So That's all really of great. that is sex stuff. I got my my dancing is sex stuff, my storytelling, and then a podcast, and then my day job. Well, if that's going to be... <laughs> If that's going to be a podcast in two or three weeks, that means by the time this airs, it'll probably be out right now. So fingers we'll, crossed, we'll have a link on. Yeah, definitely, so and and we're going to be doing Skype interviews where basically we have people who have interesting stories come share a story and also do a little interview. So it would be great. awesome to have you come do that. Sure, whatever. Because Skype is the equalizer. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the great equalizer. We can have anybody. Do you have a burlesque name? Yes. So, and a name that unfortunately I realized is really funny in Montreal and doesn't necessarily play out the further and further you get from Montreal. So it's Poppy St. Viator, which, uh, St. Viator, I, um, when I lived in Montreal, I lived in Mile End at the corner of St. Viator and Park for about five years. And St. Viator is the bagel, uh, of choice, oh, okay. St. Theater Bagels, and so Poppy, like Poppy Seed. Of course. And so in Montreal, that is like hometown pride <laughs> hilarious. And in Toronto, a lot of people get it because it's kind of like when you're talking about a Canadiana, St. Theater Bagels are one of them. Are you... Um are you going to see any burlesque here in New York? I actually, I went to the Slipper Room last night. Was with, Murray Hill there? Uh, no, although I actually met Murray Hill at... Um, at the Fleshpot Awards a oh. gazillion years ago. No, like in 2011, where Alan Cumming was honored, and I got to meet him, and it was amazing. Wow. Well, so I, I, I am quite possibly the biggest fan of Murray Hill you'll ever find. I Understandably. Absolutely. I can't... I'm not, I don't, I don't understand burlesque myself. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, I, but I'll go, you know, I've got friends who are. Yeah. Into, it's, I mean, I'll what's go, to understand it's boobs. Right, right, right. Or tassels, right. Sure. shimmying. I, I mean, I, I've got friends who are totally into it, so I'll go with them. And if Murray Hill's there, that's even, yep. that's an extra bonus. Honestly, the hosting is so. That's tough. Challenging. And I, like, I saw Bastard Keith last night, who was oh, just. Sure. Yeah. The funniest, dreamiest showman of them all. <laughs> and not to mention, he also took to task someone who said something homophobic and someone who was being culturally appropriating. Well, there you go. And it was just like, that is what's hot to me. I was like, you're singing and you're making funny jokes. And then also you're taking these assholes to task. It's Amazing. An incredibly difficult job. Yeah. In, in between naked women and, you know. In any way, really, yes. it's difficult to be in between naked women if it's your job. Right, right. Uh, but yes, especially on stage. Because that's what people are there for. They're there to see that, right? Yeah, so. but honestly, I found him just as compelling, if not maybe even more compelling. Well, there you go. If he had whipped off his suit at one point and had some pasties, I, got, I would have been, been down. I, you know, I gave I gave the singles to the go-go dancers, which was, which was a great experience, of course. But if but if he came down and, and you know, shimmied a little bit, the dollar bills would have gone to him. That's right. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, and it's cool to see hosting because doing like a storytelling night there is a fair amount of pattern and discussion between stories and mm -hmm. between judges kind of giving their input and also i have to tell a story every month which means i need to invent a new sex experience every month worthwhile right. of a theme like a thematic story right. or go back into the archives but yeah no i think seeing him there was a lot to learn and i think ditto with murray hill seeing truly charismatic people able to frame sexuality yeah beyond kind of what we understand it is really exciting the thing with murray hill for me is murray hill is very much like colbert stephen colbert yep. in that how, you, you think okay well there's there's gotta be there's a very limited amount you can do with this character mm -hmm. that's when you when you first encounter this character you think oh that's pretty limited and character. nine years later and it's not even close right <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly but 
Um, this has been a lot of fun. Thank Likewise, you for doing this. yeah. And uh, we'll have the links to everything up. And I hope you'll come back on again in the future. We want to talk sure. about your your continuing growing websites. And it's really been interesting to uh, talk to you about it. Likewise, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Thanks, Sophie. And again, if you want to find out more about Sophie, you can find out her details on Massacast.com. Thanks for listening. If you uh, want, you can uh, head to Massacast.com, click on Donate and support the show. You can also subscribe there and uh, so much more. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.